Shout for the joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside. We're glad that you're here. While you're standing, take a moment and welcome those around you. You may return to your seats and you may be seated. Well, once again, good morning and welcome to Northside. We are thankful that you are here to worship with us. If this is your first time, we are thrilled to have you uh, here. If this is your first time, we would appreciate if you would let us know. You can do that a couple ways. Uh, there's a QR code in the bulletin that you can scan and fill some information out online, or there's a connection card out in uh, the foyer. Um, Hopefully you noticed when you came in uh, that we are going to be taking the Lord's Supper together this morning. So as always, uh, the scripture tells us to examine our hearts. So we want to prepare our hearts as the service leads um, to that moment. Uh, before we continue to worship together, just some announcements. You'll notice in the bulletin, uh, our mission trip to Guatemala for Casas Por Cristo is quickly approaching. We have the 19 folks that are going with us. Those names are right here. Keep this and be praying for them over the next several weeks. Uh, our women's ministry has um, a wedding shower next Sunday. You want to make note of that for Kayla Fortner. Ministry team leaders, we have a meeting next Sunday at 4 p.m. That's going to be really tight for some of you ladies who lead a ministry, but you're also going to be um, at the wedding shower. And so if you're a couple minutes late, uh, getting there, that is fine. Homeschool families are hosting a Valentine's tea for our senior friends. A lot of names are already signed up. If you haven't signed up, please do that. And then one last thing I want to emphasize, 
is our barbecue meal, uh, youth camp fundraiser. Please sign up. That's on the Connect board. Um, you don't want to miss that. It's going to be amazing food, and uh, it's, it's for a great cause to help uh, our families who are sending their youth students to camp. So uh, make sure you are aware of that. Praying the scripture this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. should be on the screen. It says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So take a moment, pray through that verse, and then I will pray for us, and then we'll continue to sing together. tells us that you sent your son, Jesus, you came willingly and you died. You bore our sins in your body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Paul says here that for those who believe in you, right, that we might live no longer for ourselves, but for you, who for our sake died and was raised. So, Lord, as we prepare our hearts to eat of the bread and to drink of the cup, the, the bread that Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you, Lord, that we would examine our hearts, that we would understand that in Christ, so many things have been purchased for us. And as we'll see in our text, one of those is we've been given new life. We are to live changed, that you indeed bore our sins. Our sins have been dealt with. It is finished, paid in full. And so, Father, may we confess those sins May we turn from those sins, Lord, any sins, maybe that we are aware of or not aware of in our heart, in our life, Lord, may we confess those to you because you died for them. Jesus, you bore the punishment, the wrath of the Father for our sins. So, Lord, we come trusting in you, declaring the name of Jesus, coming under the banner of the name of Jesus, so we lift it high and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together? Let's continue to worship.
in prayer, please. Father, we're so grateful for the provisions that you give us, the ability to worship uh, together, together freely, the ability to worship materially, spiritually, and otherwise. Uh, Father, as we collect these tithes and offerings, uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, bestow upon us cheerful hearts and uh, that we would understand the joy in sacrificial giving, but most importantly that the, uh, all these uh, all those debts collected would uh, serve a kingdom purpose and do so to your honor and to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. To hail is to salute or welcome someone, especially an important person, to acclaim them and to wish them health and well-being. Throughout history, all hail has acclaimed kings and conquerors and supposed saviors, some of whom were, who were profoundly evil. For example, Heil Hitler is the German equivalent of Hail Hitler. But with the hymn, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, we stand at the coronation of Jesus Christ. Every heart and every voice are acclaiming him King of kings and Lord of lords. Through his suffering, death, and resurrection, he has redeemed all creation, and all creation is rejoicing together in his universal rule. The lyrics to All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name were written by Edward Perrinet, who preached for a time with John and Charles Wesley. It was first published in 1779 in the Gospel Magazine, Ministering at a time when Methodists were persecuted, at one point Edward was thrown down and rolled in mud. But nearly 250 years later, his hymn, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, is still uniting Christians in worship. It has been called the National Anthem of Christendom.
this time our younger aged kids, pre-K, three, four, and kindergarten are going to make their way to Children's Church. First and second grade, you stay in here with us today. Everybody else, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? This is the word of the Lord, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our shepherd and our overseer. And though we have strayed from you, Lord, you have brought us back. You have returned us to the Father. You have purchased our salvation and our forgiveness. And so, Lord, we come and we just open your word and we ask that you would speak clearly and plainly to us. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet, in the 53rd chapter, we read, These words, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their, hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people... And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus had gathered his disciples 
on that night in the upper room. What would have been a normal night for them suddenly takes a turn as they're celebrating the Passover. When Jesus takes the bread and he breaks the bread and he says, this is my body which is given for you. I can't imagine in the moment how confused the disciples must have been. I mean, they even though Jesus had predicted multiple times that he would suffer, die, and be raised from the dead, they still didn't quite get it. And so now here is Jesus saying, this is my body, this represents my body, which is given for you. Given for you. With those two things, Isaiah 53 and Jesus' statement to which Peter would have heard, this is my body, which is given for you. With those two things as the backdrop, we come to verses 24 and 25 of 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want you to notice three things in these two verses. Number one, I want you to notice that Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, takes our punishment. Jesus takes our punishment. We use the word substitution. Peter speaks of Jesus being our example. We saw that last week, that, that we suffer, that Christ first suffered, leaving us an example. He suffered, we will suffer, but Peter wants us to understand that Jesus' suffering is unique to ours. We might suffer, we might even die a martyr. Peter would die a martyr, but Christ was not a martyr. He died as a savior, a sinless substitute. Jesus died in our place. Christ took our place on the cross. This is what Peter says. Notice what he writes in verse 24. He himself, this is referring to Jesus, he himself bore our sins, not his sins. Peter had already told us, right, there was no, he committed no sin. There was no sin in Jesus. So he's not bearing his sins, but he bore our sins in his body. Jesus suffers physically. He takes our sins upon himself. Peter says, on the tree. That Greek word for tree simply means wood. He's speaking to the cross. I think Peter's intentional here when he uses the word tree, pointing back to Deuteronomy 21, 23, for a hanged man is cursed before God. Jesus, though he knew no sin, is now dying on a cross and he's cursed. He's bearing our sins. Peter says he himself bore bore our sins. What does that mean, he bore our sins? The word bore means to offer up. It can mean to take up. Jesus took up your sins and mine, all of them. He took them up. He bore them. But what does that mean? If you have your Bibles, go to two places with me in the Old Testament. First, go to Numbers 14. Numbers chapter 14. You're familiar with this story, I believe. Numbers 14, right? They send 12 spies into the promised land to check it out, to see what they see. Ten of them come back, right? They're, they're terrified. They're, they're afraid. They say, hey, we look like grasshoppers. Like, we can't do this. We can't take the land. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, believe in the Lord. They trust in the Lord, they think the Lord will provide. The Lord has been faithful. What do the people do? The people side with the tin. Hey, if we look like grasshoppers, we don't stand a chance. As a result of that, what happens? They are prevented 
from entering into the promised land. There will be 40 years of suffering in the wilderness, and then their children will enter into the promised land, but they won't. Listen to Numbers 14, verses 33 through 34. And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years, shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. Verse 34, according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity. 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. They shall bear their iniquity for 40 years. What does that mean that they bear it? Well, they sinned, they disobeyed, and they will suffer the consequences. Why do they wander in the wilderness for 40 years? It's because of the judgment and the punishment of God. To bear sin, to bear iniquity means not only are you a sinner for them, they had rebelled, but they will suffer under God's condemnation and judgment for their sin. You go to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel 18 verse 20. We're familiar with the verse that says the soul the sins shall die. Ezekiel 18, 20 says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father. That word suffer could mean bear or carry. The father doesn't suffer or bear the iniquity of the, the son does not suffer or bear the iniquity of the father, nor the father bear or suffer for the iniquity of the son. So what Ezekiel's saying what the Lord is saying is, listen, the father, he will bear his own iniquity and he will experience the judgment of God for that. And the son will bear his iniquity and experience the consequences of that. So when it says Jesus bore our punishment, what's happening here is God the father counted our sin to Christ. Though he committed no sin, no sin was in his mouth, he became sin for us. He laid upon himself the iniquity of us all. And then God punished him with his righteous, holy anger and wrath. Jesus drinks the cup of wrath dry. It's why Jesus on the cross cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does the father forsake the son? Because the son is bearing sin. God is pouring out his Wrath On the cross, Jesus suffers the penalty for sin. It's death. Not his own sin, yours and mine. He bore, he bears our sins in his body on the cross. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, here's the reality. Whether you are a believer in Christ or an unbeliever who has rejected Christ, here's the reality. Either Christ takes my sins and bears them and suffers the wrath of God, or I bear my sins and I experience the wrath of God. Either Jesus takes the penalty for my sin, which is death and separation from God, which he experiences on the cross, or I bear the penalty for my sin, which is death and eternal separation from God in a place called hell. God must punish your sins, either in Christ who bore them or in your own life and eternity in hell. Listen, you cannot escape the seriousness of your sin. Study the Old Testament. Does God treat sin lightly? No. 
Does God not set up a sacrificial system by which animals are offered, sacrificed in place of people for the forgiveness of sin? Over and over and over, God takes sin seriously. Is the New Testament not clear that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Jesus bore our sin and then bore the punishment of God for our sin. C.H. Spurgeon writes, He bore on the tree the sentence for me. Now listen, there are many people today who want to diminish, deny, or denounce the work of Christ on the cross. They don't want to speak of the cross. They don't want to speak of the blood. They don't believe in substitutionary atonement where Christ dying in our place brought about the atonement that we could be right with God. And behind all of this denying and denouncing and twisting is none other than Satan himself. Satan wants to diminish our sinfulness and to magnify our human ability. To diminish the seriousness of our sin and then to magnify our ability to save ourselves. And when he does those two things, we diminish the cross of Christ. We diminish God's judgment. We diminish God's holiness. Because we begin to think, well, listen, God, thank you for sending Jesus, but I didn't need it. He didn't need to die for me. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. I do a lot of good things. Or we begin to think I'm capable of saving myself. Or we begin to think, well, God, your punishment is a tad too severe. A little extreme that you went to these, to these depths, Father. Or we begin to think, well, God loves me just the way that I am. God created me. He, he, he delights in me. He doesn't, he doesn't matter how I live my life. He loves me the way that I am. Listen, yes, God loves you. Yes and amen. No, you're not capable of saving yourself. And no, God's punishment wasn't too severe. The fact that you are alive right now shows you the grace of God. Because God could have, the moment you sin, just wiped you off of the face of the earth. He could have done that. God didn't have to send Jesus. He didn't have to save any of us. His judgment is not too severe. And had it not been for Jesus Christ on the cross, we would all experience God's just wrath and condemnation in hell. But God willingly sends the Son. And Jesus willingly comes. They don't take his life from him. He lays it down to bear your sins in his body on the tree to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All of your sins were placed upon Jesus Christ. And he bore not only your sins, but he bore the wrath and the punishment of God on the cross for your sins. That's the first thing that you need to see this morning is that Jesus takes not only your sins, but he takes your punishment. Number two, Peter is quick to point out that number two, Jesus gives us new life. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that, so that. The purpose of Jesus bearing your sins was for this 
purpose. Now, when we think about Jesus' shed blood, when we think about Jesus bearing God's wrath for us, the reality is it results in many wonderful things. You just do a quick search of the word blood in the New Testament, and I'm going to put, we're going to put these on the screen so you can write these down. We see that Christ purchased for us so many things through his shed blood. Romans 5, 9 says he secured our justification. Ephesians 1, 7, our forgiveness and our redemption through his blood. Ephesians 2, 13, reconciliation with the Father. Peace, according to Colossians 1, 20. Sanctification, Hebrews 13, 12. A cleansing, 1 John 1, 7. Freedom, according to Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. But what does Peter focus on here? He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Now, that shouldn't surprise us that that's Peter's focus. Because if you remember chapter 1, Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Regeneration. We were dead in sins. He, through the Holy Spirit, gives us new life. Verse 23 of chapter 1, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Peter wants us to know, listen, you're exiles. This isn't your home. And as you live here, under the banner of Jesus Christ, who suffered and died and bore the punishment of God in your place, understand one result of that is that you have new life. You are a new creation in Christ, Paul says. Peter says that we might die to sin. That word means to cease, to stop. It means a complete and abrupt change. It can mean to be dead to or to not respond to. Here's the amazing thing. Paul says we were dead in our sins and trespasses. You were dead in them. You are incapable of having life. But through the Holy Spirit, you have been born again, to which Peter now says you're not dead in sins, but now you're dead to them. They don't rule and reign over you any longer. Christ took the penalty for your sin. He has delivered you from the power of sin. You now, by virtue of the new birth, the righteousness of Christ imputed to you, and the Holy Spirit who indwells you, you are now dead to sin, and you live to righteousness. Hear me, brothers and sisters. You are changed. You are changed. You are not the same. If you have come to the name of Jesus and you have declared him to be Lord and Savior of your life, he drastically, radically changes you. The cross of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead changes you, and that ought to change every area of your life. No area is to be left the same. It changes your outlook on life. It changes your eternal destination. You have hope. Peter says, and this ought to be obvious. On Monday, during Mr. Don Finger's funeral service, uh, the owner, uh, the director of McCoon's funeral home, John, uh, was here the entire time. And so Pastor Gary and I got to talk to him quite a bit back in the sound booth. And uh, he, he's been doing this a long time, bought it uh, from his, his father. And so he's seen a lot. And so we were just talking, and he said something which, man, is so true, and it ought to be true. He said, I've done this long enough that when 
a, a family member passes away and that family comes into the funeral home, right? And they're coming in and they're making all of these, they have to make all of these decisions. He said, we can tell within minutes, sometimes within a moment, who believes in Jesus Christ and loves Jesus and the families that don't. He said, we can, by their disposition, by the way they grieve, by what's important to them, by the very first questions they ask, he said, within moments, I can almost every time pinpoint they love Jesus, they're following Jesus, and they have never put their hope and trust in Jesus. And I thought, it ought to be that way in every area of our life. It ought to be so crystal clear. Every time you're with your family, when you're at work, when you walk into Kroger, you don't have to walk in with the sign that says, I follow Jesus. You don't have to be walking down the aisle singing. But if somebody's around you long enough, it ought to be crystal clear that your life belongs to Jesus, that you have been changed because you're dead to sin and you're now alive and living for righteousness. So number one, Jesus took our punishment. He took our punishment. Number two, Jesus gives us new life. We're dead to sin and we're alive to righteousness. But number three, I want you to notice Jesus brings us back to God. He says, verse 25, for you were straying like sheep. Sounds familiar? Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. All we, every one of us. There's this imagery over and over, Old Testament, New Testament, of the shepherd, God the shepherd, and we're the sheep. And all of us, we've wandered away. Just as the sheep wanders away from the shepherd, we have wandered away. But it says, look at this, for you are straying like sheep, but have now returned. Sometimes you lose something in the translation from the Greek to the English. This have now returned, that's in the passive tense. Meaning, you were not the one actively returning to the shepherd. You returned passively because the shepherd came for you. The father is not in heaven waiting for you to come because he knows you ain't coming. You're never coming. You can't come. You're dead. So what does the shepherd do? He comes for the sheep. Like the shepherd who has the 100 sheep, 99. Like, hey, we're doing good. The one wanders away. It makes sense for the shepherd to say, hey, i got to protect these 99. You're the one that walked away. That's on you, bro. You need to figure that out, sheep. Quit wandering away. But what's he do? He leaves the 99 to go find the one. And he, what? Puts it on his shoulders and he carries it back. It says, you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd. Now, we're eventually going to get there. It may take us a little while. But we're going to get to chapter 5 where Peter begins to speak to the church and he calls pastors shepherds. He calls elders pastors. That word in Scripture is used interchangeably. He calls us shepherds. And as we see God gives authority in the world, he also gives authority in the church. A church has a pastor, an elder, or a plurality of pastors or elders, and the congregation comes under the leadership of their shepherd. But here's the thing. You're not ultimately accountable to me, and I'm ultimately accountable to the chief shepherd. Because that's what Peter says. He says, your pastors are shepherds, but ultimately there's the chief shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Shepherd, he's the good shepherd. He leaves the 99 to go find the one lost sheep. 
You were straying, but the shepherd pursued you. Warren Wearsby writes, in the Old Testament, the sheep died for the shepherd. But at Calvary, the shepherd died for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Listen, Peter has been clear that unbelievers are watching us. It's why it matters how you live your life. It's why it matters that you need to understand you are new and you live differently, that you have to conduct yourselves in an honorable way among the Gentiles. Peter's clear they're watching you, but now what he's saying is this, the shepherd in heaven is watching over you. You say, man, that's a lot to live up to if people are watching me. And I'm not perfect. Nobody's calling you to be perfect, but the scripture calls you to be consistent. But as you live life and the hardships of life, you understand you have a good shepherd watching over you. He says, you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer. The Greek word is episkopos. It means one responsible for or guardian. We go to chapter five and it talks about how the, right, how the pastor is to shepherd the flock that is among you exercising oversight. Exercising oversight. So Jesus is not only the shepherd, but he's the overseer. He's, he's the guardian. He's the ruler and the leader over the souls of those in the church. He has authority and he is good and holy. Can you imagine how comforting these two verses must have been to these brothers and sisters spread out in Asia? Increasing hostility and persecution is arising all around them. And they're struggling, and in the midst of that, Peter says, listen, I want you to understand something. There's a lot you may not understand, but know this. Jesus bore your sins and his body on the tree. He has paid for your sin. You are free in Christ, but you also need to understand you're new. Dead to sin and alive to Christ. And as you live this life, Though you had strayed or maybe you are straying now, you need to understand Jesus is your shepherd and your overseer, and he's watching over your souls. Now, if you were clearly paying attention as I read through these verses, you noticed I skipped a verse. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By his wounds, the, the word wounds there refers to scars, literally refers to the scourging or the flogging that Jesus would have endured. And Peter says, you have been healed by his wounds. Again, drawing from Isaiah 53. Now listen, some want to immediately run and interpret this to mean Jesus is talking about, Peter's talking about physical healing. That by his wounds, we are healed physically. To which I would say, yes and amen, but not yet. We're not actively experiencing that. Now, does God bless us with good health? Praise the Lord. Anybody want to amen on that one? The Lord blesses us with good health. Does God still supernaturally bring about healing in somebody's life? Yes. But we've just seen in the month of January in our church, two beloved men who were getting older and their health was declining. Health was fading. Some would say, well, they just lacked faith. They didn't have the faith to believe that God could heal them. Well, did Paul lack faith? Because I believe on multiple times he asked the Lord to take the thorn out of his side. 
And there's disagreement as to what that meant. So did Paul lack faith? No, what did Jesus say? My grace is sufficient for you. Now hear me, a day is coming and Buddy and Dawn are experiencing it now in which there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness. They have been healed, amen? And that awaits us in Christ, but it's not yet. So what is he talking about? He's talking about, the context is clear, he's talking about spiritually. He bore your sins on his body on the tree, though he might die to sin and live to righteousness. We've been healed spiritually. Listen, Christ died in your place. He bore your sins and God's wrath. So two things before I finish with a quote. Two things. Number one, you need to turn from your sins. Your response to these words of Peter, to the sacrifice of Jesus, is to turn from your sins. Hear me, if you're here and the sound of my voice are watching online and you've never given your life to Jesus, you have never trusted in Jesus, you have never confessed your sins, believed in your sins, you've downplayed the cross, you've downplayed your sinfulness, hear me, turn now. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the moment. Because either Christ bears your sins on the cross, or you will bear your sins for all eternity in hell. Turn, turn, believe, repent, and take hold of Jesus Christ and be saved. But hear me, brothers and sisters, if Christ bore your sins on, in his body on the tree, then hear me, that means as his follower, you cannot continue to live in sin. Will you be perfect? No. But if there is unconfessed sin or there is habitual sin in your life right now, before you come to the table, you must confess it. Why? Because Christ died for it. And I don't think he would suffer for your sin just so you could continue to live in it. Are you perfect? No. But if there is sin in your life that you have not confessed and repented of, then right now I plead with you before you come to the table. You fall before the Lord and you confess those sins and you turn from those sins because he bore them in his body on the tree. But here's the second thing I want to say, and that is this. Some of you need to let go of your sins. There's something you have done in your past, a sin you have committed, that you continue to beat yourself up over. You have gone to the Lord many times. There have been many times you've come to the altar and you've laid it before the Lord. You said, Lord, I don't want to take this up again. This is what I did. I'm sorry. I apologize for it. And you walk away just to pick it right back up again. Hear me. He bore them. He has forgiven them. He has cleansed you from them if you have confessed them to him. So stop living in the past. He's taken your sin, he's taken your guilt, he's taken your shame, and it was nailed to the cross. And he didn't say, well, Father, it's partly finished. He said, to telestai, paid in full. So hear my heart. If you sit here or you're watching online and you feel the weight, the guilt of something you did five years ago or 30 years ago, you cannot walk in freedom when you continue to hold on to what Christ has already borne and dealt with. He's forgiven you. So it's time to forgive yourself and walk in the freedom that he brings. Walk 
in his finished work upon the Christ, on the, upon the cross. Walk in forgiveness. Live to righteousness and see and savor our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to end by quoting from C.H. Spurgeon. This popped up on my Twitter feed this week. This was a sermon he delivered and unknown to him at the time would be the last sermon uh, that he would preach. These would be the final words he ever spoke from a pulpit where he dedicated his life to preaching God's word. He said this, Those who have no master are slaves to themselves. Depend upon it. You will either serve Satan or Christ, either self or the Savior. You will find sin, self, Satan, and the world to be hard masters. But if you wear the livery of Christ, you will find him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest unto your souls. He is the most magnanimous of captains. There never was his like among the choicest of princes. He is always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. The heaviest end of the cross lies ever on his shoulders. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. If there is anything that is gracious, generous, kind, and tender, yea, lavish and superabundant in love, you always find it in him. These 40 years and more have I served him. Blessed be his name. And if I had nothing but love from him, I would be glad to continue yet another 40 years in the same dear service here below if it so pleased him. His service is life, peace, joy. Oh, that you would enter on it at once. God help you to enlist under the banner of Jesus even this day. Amen. Christ bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. If you have not entered upon Christ, if you never declare Christ to be the banner of your life, then do so right now, today. And oh, brothers and sisters, if you have given your life to Christ, oh, that you would keep coming to him for grace and mercy and forgiveness, for he is the banner of our life. May we continue to enlist under that banner every single day. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? I'm going to ask you to remain seated. Luke and Gina Johnson are going to come, and, and, and Gina's going to sing a song, and this is going to serve as a transition for us into the Lord's Supper. And so as she sings about the blood of Jesus that has been applied to us, the grace, the mercy that we've experienced as Jesus bore the condemnation and wrath of God. I'm going to ask you, as she sings, just to worship. If you know the words and you want to sing with her, that's fine, but just to worship, to prepare your hearts, to confess your sins, and just to come to Jesus, the shepherd and the overseer of our souls, and to rest in him, to find peace and hope and joy in him. For he is all that he said he is. Father, speak to our hearts. As Gina and Luke play and sing, Lord, use this to draw us closer to our Lord and Savior and to prepare us for eating of the bread and drinking of the cup. In Jesus' name, amen.
we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. And while they're coming, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do indeed thank you for the blood that was applied. As we think back to the Passover, the blood that was posted on the doorpost, spread on the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over and they were spared. So, Father, we just come to you and we plead the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing I have done, nothing I could ever do. I could live for all eternity trying to earn salvation and I would still fall way short. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so as we come to this moment where we eat and where we drink, where we we do, Jesus, what you have instructed and commanded us to do, and we do it in remembrance of you, and we do it until you return. So we look back this morning, reflecting upon your death, but then we also long, Jesus, for you to return for your bride. And we wait with eager expectation, but also understanding that while we wait, we live as people who have been changed for your glory and your honor. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just some instructions if you've not been with us before as we've done this. Uh, We'll pass the elements. Remember, it's double stacked, the bread and the cup. And so just make sure you get two cups when you pull uh, it out. And if you'll just hold it until everybody has served, um, and then Pastor Gary and I uh, will lead you in that. So deacons, if you'll stand. Thank you.
Jesus first would have taken the bread. It says he broke the bread and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. Amen. We want to end our service as we typically do by reading from Matthew 28, the Great Commission, as we live sent. And so if you'll stand, I'll, uh, I'll do that. Pastor Gary's going to be out in the foyer um, shaking hands. And if there's any way that we can pray for you or serve you, uh, please let us know how to do that. We have all our normal activities tonight, so we pray that you will join us. Let's say this together. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go and live sent.